Hello, I'd like to welcome you back to our series on being counseled by God. Uh, We are officially in lesson number seven. So last week, uh, we talked about healing past hurts. We got into the principles of inner healing. And uh, if you missed that lesson, I would encourage you to go back and catch the recording of it. Really, really solid information for us as believers to have uh, on hand for whenever the uh, time arises that God would bring something to light that needs healed in our spirits. So this week we're going to move forward. Um, now that we know a little bit about inner healing, we have to now deal with fear. Fear is a liar, um, as, as one of the popular songs right now says. But fear is a big deal that a lot of believers have a hard time dealing with. So let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our content. Heavenly Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just come before you and I thank you, Lord God, for this time, for all of these people who have come together to learn your word, to learn, Lord God, what you would have to say to them, what it truly means to allow you to counsel each one of us. Father, today I pray that you would anoint each one of these people uh, upon their ears, Lord God, open up their hearts, that they would receive not only the words which you've laid upon my heart for this lesson, but, Father, that they would receive the wisdom of your own counsel. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, come upon each one. And, Father, begin, even even as we go through this lesson, begin to expose the fear which ties them down. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. And all God's children said, Amen. So we need to talk, first and foremost, about the source of fear. Um, there's a lot of things that that we would um, accidentally claim fear with. And so we'll say, I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid of that. Uh, big one for me, I myself will frequently say, I'm afraid of snakes. And it's not so much that I'm afraid of them. It's a more so that I, I'm just not fond of them. Uh, they won't hurt me because I, I know that God will protect me. But I also don't get close enough uh, to find that out. I keep my distance from them um, as, as far as that is in my control. But we, we talk about things that we're afraid of, but what do we actually fear? Um, not to go terribly dark here. I don't, I don't want to get too heavy. But oftentimes we talk about death and, and we say that death for many people is a fear and it's because it's a a fear of the unknown and so it's not so much that they are afraid of dying because especially for believers uh, who are who are steadfast in their faith they know what what death truly is it's only a doorway from from life unto death and then unto eternal life but yet we get captured in this mindset of a fear of the unknown because we don't know what dying feels like we don't know um, what the what the death process truly is uh, until we experience it and not not to bring too much light to that but we don't live to tell about it Uh, so that kind of helps bring us up out of the heaviness of that topic Uh, but but I want to deal with that one I guess as I'm discussing fear I think that that's probably the most frequent, even among believers, is the fear of death. 
So we need to know what the source of fear truly is. Well, if you haven't picked up by this point in the class on the detriment of the enemy's words into our spirit, I think that this particular lesson is probably going to bring it to light. The voice of the enemy is the source of fear. Why? Well, because the word of God clearly tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Hear that again. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but instead he gave us the spirit of of his opposites. He gave us the spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. So you see, and and that's 2 Timothy 1.7. If you want the context, you can go and read that but but that particular verse is is so unique to me because whenever I look at it I see I I see it laid out in a in this three to one manner God has not given us a spirit of fear no because the spirit of fear is from the devil from the accuser from the enemy but but in place of the spirit of fear, God gave us three positives, three positives to one negative. So God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. Amen? And and that shows the goodness of our God, because he's not only twice as strong as the enemy. That, that I'm going to call it a promise. That promise shows that he's three times the enemy and so much more. He's so much more, without limits, okay? But, but just in that particular situation, I want you to meditate on that uh, at the end of this lesson. I just want you to sink in. If you're taking notes, just jot that off to the side, 2 Timothy 1.7, and, and let that scripture sink into your spirit. Really let it saturate you uh, until you understand that three-to-one promise. So the source of fear is the voice of the enemy. Why, how, how rather can we overcome fear then? Well, if we have this power, love, and sound mind, we can put them into action. So I'm going to give you four tangible steps of how to overcome fear. And this isn't, you know, your I'm afraid of the dark, I'm afraid of uh, spiders, but I'm talking about the true fear, the trueness of fear, something that absolutely, uh, you know, undeniably terrifies you and you, you, you can't even begin to explain the horror that you experience if you're in the presence of this thing or, or if you consider what might happen at this event. How do you overcome true true fear. Step one, prayer and supplication. Well, we use these words in, in Christian life, prayer and supplication, prayer and supplication. Well, what do we mean by that? It's simple. We not only need to bring whatever we fear into the presence of God, but we have to realize that the presence of God is always with us. We have to realize that the presence of God is always there and always greater 
Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. And supplication, we can say, um, if it's if it's a really deep fear and you really need God to touch it, fast, fast. So don't just don't just take a five second prayer. You know, uh, a quick little. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul would keep. No, I mean. I mean, set time apart and pray like a warrior because God has called you to be a warrior. That's why he gave you armor in the book of Ephesians. And, and so you suit up in that armor, okay? And, and you, you completely put on Christ and you fast and you pray until you feel the spirit of God enter in. Step two of overcoming fear goes right along with step one, quieting down in God's presence. Okay, so so you're, you're gird up in your full armor of God. You're fasting, and, and you've begun to pray, and now you're going to quiet down in God's presence. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 4610. Be still in God's presence. Step three of course, goes right along in saying, once you're, once you're gird up in your armor and you're praying and you're fasting and you're quiet in God's presence, you're going to begin to receive revelation from God through word and through vision with the eyes and ears of your spirit. You're going to see vision and you're going to receive rhema. That's part of why we've been journaling throughout this entire course. And you see, you're going to have that journal somewhere nearby so that you can journal as as you pray, as you fast, as you uh, still yourself in God's presence, you're going to journal what you're receiving from God. But then the greatest thing, step four, this, be, be, and, and you see, oftentimes when we journal, we, we take the time um, to pray our prayer and we wait on God's part of the prayer and it's okay to end whenever God says that's that's all for now okay that's that's perfectly fine but when you are overcoming fear I'm gonna get excited on you when you are overcoming fear and you have received revelation from God in word and in vision you don't stop there you don't simply stop at, at the at the end of the page in your journal when God says, that's all I need to share with you. No, you're, the Lord your God just overcame something. He defeated the enemy's stronghold in your life. So now you're going to turn around and still shot up in that, in that uh, armor of God. You're going to respond to your God with worship and thanksgiving. I don't care if that means that you're going to run to the CD player and put in your favorite praise and worship CD, or if you're just going to stand before your God with your hands raised and on your knees saying, praise you, Father, because you are worthy of my praise. You are wonderful. You are my counselor. You have set me free this day. I have been set free and I give you praise because you are good and worthy of praise and of worship. Hallelujah. Praise to the Lamb. If that's what it looks like, that's great. But that's how you respond. These are the four steps to overcoming fear. And and maybe I, I know that I went through those sort of fast and it, it's only because it gets me really excited. So I'm going to recap them uh, 
and I'll try to do it a little more methodically. So you pray and you fast. You quiet down and get in God's presence. It's, it's really quite similar. These steps two and three are just what you do when you journal. You know, at, at the end of each lesson, when I've given you a journaling exercise, that's how you go about journaling. Okay? But, but that's steps two and three. So additionally to your, to your journaling process, you've added a little extra prayer with some fasting, and then you've added in some worship. What does the worship do? I'm going to give you a minute to rhetorically answer that question. What does the worship do? The worship naturally replaces fear with faith. You see, as you begin to worship God, nothing else matters. Your eyes are fixed on the King. Your eyes see the goodness of God. Your eyes see that these are the eyes of your spirit. The eyes see the goodness of God. The eyes see the mercy, the grace, the power, the strength. You see the warring God who fights your battles. And the fear that was that was holding you back is being replaced with great faith. When the worship begins, it is natural for faith to move in. And 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 I want to touch on that. I I don't I don't just want to gloss over that. I want to be clear. What happens when you worship God? Does something happen when you lay hands on a person to pray? Yes. It it physically feels different when you lay hands on a person to pray than 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 it feels to sit in your chair at home and fold your own hands and pray for someone. And and just the same, it feels different when you worship by humbling yourself and and bowing on your knees, raising your hands to God. It feels different. Something happens in the spirit realm. What happens is your faith unites to Jesus. Your faith is is overwhelmed within you and it becomes stronger and it's and it becomes stronger. What do we know about faith? We know this, faith is the substance of things hoped for and not yet seen. What does that mean to us? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and not yet seen. How can we have a hope in something that we haven't seen? I can answer that question in one little phrase, because of an empty grave, amen? That's how I can have hope in something I've never seen. We're taught that it, it, it just takes faith the, the size of a grain of mustard seed. And if we have that mustard seed size faith, faith, then we can we can extend our hand unto a mountain and tell the mountain to be cast into the sea. And when we have that kind of faith in Christ, the mountain will not even argue. It won't stand there in defiance. It will be cast away. That's a promise of the word of God. 
third thing that we know about faith is that it takes faith to receive salvation. It, a, a measure of faith is given to every person. And, and that measure of faith is given to every person. I honestly believe that measure of faith is given to every person to receive salvation. Because if, if people were born with no faith at all, how would we be saved? But yet, we're, we're born with a, with a measure of faith. That's in the Word. And, and, and it's a natural progression. It's a sad but natural progression. That as we age, our faith diminishes. You think of the faith of a four-year-old child. And, and if you have raised a child in your home... Now, now, let me be clear here. I have not raised a child. However, at 26 years old, I remember being a five-year-old raised in a Christian home. I remember the faith that I had between ages uh, five and nine. And, and, and something happens as we approach the age of accountability, which is between 12 and 13 years old, and, and that's an ancient Jewish principle, uh, which we don't need to get super deep into right now. But, but something happens as we approach the age of accountability, and our faith seems to begin to diminish until we make the choice to re-engage our faith and to nourish our faith. You've heard the story of the two dogs, one good dog, one bad dog. Which one grows? The, the one that you feed. And so if you have, uh, you know, faith and the opposite of faith, we'll call them faith and fear. Which dog is going to grow? If you feed your faith, the faith is going to grow and the fear is going to diminish. But if you feed the fear, the faith is going to diminish. It takes faith to be saved. You see, when, when we are born with that measure of faith and we can, we can then um, receive Jesus Christ for the very first time, that is where our life changes because of the measure of faith that's in us. And I, I believe for those people who meet Christ later in life, I truly believe that he restores unto them that measure of faith that, that diminishes because of the weight of the world that we try to carry. Faith is a beautiful thing, but faith always replaces fear. Faith will always replace fear. And I want you, I want you to really consider what faith looks like and what fear looks like and how the two of them are truly opposite of one another. Okay, um, I, I don't feel the need to go much deeper with this. I think that I, I can feel the Lord bringing me to a stop on this. I think that everything that I've uh, covered in this lesson, though it's uh, been a little bit shorter than most, uh, I, I really feel like everything that needs said has been said. And so I, I'm, I'm going to direct you to our scriptures that I, that I want to leave you with 
Um, If you're turning in your Bible, you can turn first to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to read just verse 1. I'm going to read from the New International Version, and it says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Think about that this week. Okay? Uh, The next one, if you're turning in your Bible, go to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to go to chapter 17 and verse 20. And it says, He replied, Because you have so little faith, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Hear this. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I'm, I'm going to stick on this, on this passage for just a second. It's important when we read scripture that we really digest it. And when you digest something, sometimes you have to take it apart and and look over it a little closer with a fine-tooth comb. He replied, Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And, and you can look at this scripture and what, what you need to take away from it is if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. And, and you can take that away that as, as the generalization of that verse, but it's important that you leave the part about the mountain there because if you've ever stood on a mountain, or at the base of a mountain and looked straight up, at the peak of a mountain and looked straight down. Mountains are huge. They're enormous, much bigger than we. But with faith, even as small as a mustard seed, even as small as a mustard seed, and that is pretty small. Think on that one. The next one comes to um, from Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 8. And it says this, For grace, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Continue into verse 9. Not by works, so that no man can boast. That, that explains to us why we, why we received our measure of faith. Jesus went to the cross died for our sins took my place at Calvary took your place at Calvary that was the grace and then through that that initial measure of faith we were we were saved we received salvation praise him and finally i want to leave you with the words of philippians uh, chapter 4 and verse 6 And it says this, Do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
present your requests to God. And, and I feel like that's an important scripture to leave you with because when we have a fear, a true fear, it will produce anxiety. And the word of God says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, by prayer and supplication, pray and fast and bring thanksgiving and make your requests known unto your God. And don't be anxious. Don't fear. I want to leave you with a journaling exercise. And and this particular journaling exercise is going to force you to drive a little bit deeper with God. This journaling exercise is going to require a little bit of time from you. Because I'm only going to give you step one. Step two is up to you. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to give you an, any instruction for step 2. I'm going to leave that between you and God. But this is what I want you to journal. This is step 1. Dear Lord, what fear have I not given over to you? That that's the biggest thing that we need to realize is that when we do have a fear, that we have to give it over to God. If we, if we refuse to give it over to God, it only creates a stronghold that weighs us down. But if you give your fear over to the Lord, then whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. He will set you free from that fear. Replace it with his opposite, faith, power, love, and sound mind. So journal that this week. Dear Lord, what fear have I not given over you. Wait on his response and then ask him what the next step is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this day and this time. And I just pray, Lord God, that that these words would accomplish what you need them to accomplish. I pray, Father, that you would begin uh, to work in the hearts and the minds of these people, that, that each one of them, Lord God, would come close to you, would come into your presence seeking what they can hand over to you. Father, you came that we would that we would bring a burden to the foot of your cross. You said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You pick up the load off of our shoulders. And Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that each one of these people who hear this this lesson, this message, I pray, Father, that each one would be reached by your power. And and Father, that they would willingly come and submit unto your throne, that they would lay down their burdens, hand over their fear, their anxiety. Every fear and doubt can come to the foot of the cross. But they can't stay present with us because we live in your presence. So Father, for each one who who is struggling right now, Father, there's a person that you're laying on my heart and and I I can't discern who it is. But Father, I pray for this person who's going to struggle with with letting go of a fear. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I take charge of that fear in united faith with this person. Father, right now, 
that every stronghold that is tied against them would be severed, removed, and destroyed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who came in the flesh. Father God, that nothing formed against this person may prosper, for this person is a child of Most High, Almighty God. Father, as I unite my faith, I feel, I feel it, Lord God, that you're setting this person free, even as this prayer is prayed. And Father, I pray that the person who, who needs to receive your freedom will walk this moment into your freedom, Father God, in obedience to your will. Father, that they would proclaim over and over, I am free for the Son has set me free and I walk free indeed. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, let your presence be known strongly unto that person. Father, unclasp the fingers which hold on to a fear and, and remove, Lord God, the grips that the devil has in this person's life. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. And all God's children said, Amen and Amen. If you have any questions regarding this lesson, if you need a one-on-one -on -one prayer, and I have the feeling that one of you, at least one of you, if not more, does, um, do not hesitate to get a hold of me. Everybody that is taking this course has my contact information. And if you need one-on-one -on -one prayer, I will not judge you for coming and saying, Eric, I need prayer. I will not share the fact that you contacted me with, with anyone other than Most High God. Okay? Uh, and and I, can, I can sense right now in my spirit that you're even dealing with a fear of stepping forward, but you need to step forward in obedience so that you can be set free. And, and so whoever it is, just know that, that God has brought us to this place and this time for a reason, and God wants you to walk in freedom. That is why Jesus went to the cross. That is why Jesus took on your burdens. Not so that you would walk as a prisoner to fear. You're not a slave to fear. You are a child of God. And so, if that's you, you contact me and we will pray and you will be set free for your obedience. Have a wonderful week. I'll meet you back here in seven days for Lesson 8. Until then, God bless and shalom. Hello, I'd like to welcome you back to our series on being counseled by God. We are in lesson number eight this week. We're going to talk about replacing guilt with hope. Uh, last week, we covered... Um, my goodness, I forget what we covered last week. Let me look back at the notes. Uh, replacing fear with faith. I knew it was something along those lines. Uh, really great lesson there, and I hope that you were able to take away from it and um, that you've started to begin to operate in replacing fear with faith and, and living in such a way. Uh, so today, the lesson I think is just as important, but we're going to get into some really good stuff. So I'm going to encourage you uh, to have your pen and your paper ready, get ready to take some notes, 
and be ready uh, for a good journaling exercise at the end of this lesson. So let's open up with a word of prayer and then get into our content. Heavenly Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we come before you and we thank you, Lord God, that you have called us to this time and this place to come together and to hear your word. Father, that we should take these principles to live a life according to your will for us, Lord God. We know that you want the best for your children. We know, Father God, that it is your good pleasure to give us your kingdom. And so, Lord, today as we discuss uh, replacing guilt with hope, I pray, Lord God, that it becomes divine revelation to each person that all of our hope is truly found in you alone. So, Father, be among us tonight. Anoint the ears of the hearers, Lord God, that they would hear with your ears, that they would that they would have hearts prepared to receive the word that you are going to speak to them through this. In the name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen and Amen. So we need to define a couple of terms before we can go too far. Uh, the first term that I want to define is false guilt. I think that this is something that a lot of people deal with, and actually, as I took the course, I realized that sometimes, even myself, I've, I've fallen subject to a little bit of false guilt here and there. Uh, it's really easy as human beings to fall prey to false guilt, but it's good for us to have a solid definition of uh, what it is, because without a definition, that's how we get lost in, in just saying, I feel guilty. Um, and then again, and then on the flip side, I guess, rather, uh, we have true guilt. And we're going to talk about the two. Um, I'm going to give you a solid definition. So if you're taking notes, I think you'll want to write it down. False guilt is guilt which comes from the accuser. Okay, uh, now if you remember back to the beginning of this course, we talked about different names of the devil the accuser of the brethren. Um, and, and so sometimes there will be things in life that we're going to come up against and, and the devil's going to do everything he can to knock us down. And so false guilt is a, is a condemning kind of guilt. And, and you know, when, when you fall short, remember that the word of God teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and so, when the time comes that you have fallen short, that false guilt from the accuser is going to browbeat you with, you don't measure up, you're not good enough, you're not worthy. It's, it's, a, con, it's a condemning kind of guilt, and it, it has a tendency to loom. And if you allow it to continue on, it, it can cause some serious issues, not only uh, in your spiritual health, but in your emotional health. And then because of your spiritual and emotional state of health, it would actually begin to cause problems in your physical health. So be on the lookout uh, for, for things that cause false guilt, something that is a condemning guilt. Um, you're, not, you're not doing enough. You're, you're not good enough. You're not measuring up. You could do more. Those, those are not good thoughts. That's not what God wants to instill in you. Um, and, and like we've talked about before, if you think that you're hearing the voice of God instilling something like that in you, check it against the Word. 
And if you can't get it to line up with the word, then it's not from God. True guilt, however, is a convicting guilt, and it's a conviction by the Holy Spirit because of sin. Um, and, And so we think about things that go on. Maybe you told a white lie. Okay, now that might loom over you, but it's a different kind of looming than the false guilt is because the, the, the looming of false guilt is just going to drive you into uh, deep sadness. It's going to push you uh, sometimes even as close to depression as you can get. But true guilt won't necessarily push you to depression. It will just burn in your spirit. Why? Because true guilt is a conviction by the Holy Spirit. And so you don't get those condemning uh, thoughts, but instead you get the convicting thoughts. You knew not to, yet you did. Okay, can you hear the, the, the difference between the, uh, the, the thoughts that are going to start coming into the mind between condemnation and conviction? One being the accuser saying you're not good enough because you stumbled. And the other being the conviction, the, the discipline of a father, if you will. You knew better. But you still did it. Why? And for those of you who, who have children, maybe you can relate to that. Um, you know, having to sit down with a child and say, you knew better. Why did you do it? You knew better. You could have made a better choice. And that's, that's the conviction. You knew not to, yet you did. And although you did, Christ still loves you. Amen? Okay, so we have to deal with false guilt as soon as we catch it. And we also have to deal with true guilt as soon as we feel it. So let's start with dealing with true guilt. When we have a sense of true guilt, because we um, told the white lie, because we uh, cheated on something, because we, we dipped into some form of sin, and, and we know that we shouldn't have, and yet we chose to anyways, what do you do? How do you get rid of the true guilt? How do, you, how do you take away the conviction that's burning your, your every breath, your every movement, you're burning with it? Repentance. When you repent of what you did wrong, the burden is lifted. That's the grace of our Lord. That's, that's our grace and mercy that we experience. Because even though God knew that you were going to do it, And he knew when you did do it, he loves you anyway, and he's willing to forgive. And he has forgiven already. Okay, so true guilt is dealt with in repentance. Okay, there's there's a three-step process to dealing with true guilt. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of scripture reading as we go through this process. Uh, and they, they're not exactly the focus scriptures for the lesson, but I think that they're important for us uh, to go ahead and cover. So if you're turning in a Bible, you can begin in the book of Psalms. 
and I want you to go to Psalms chapter 103, and we're going to begin in verse 13. I'm going to read it to you from the New International Version. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. Okay, so step one in dealing with true guilt. We have to know our own frame. We have to recognize that that God sees us as his children. He knows how we were formed and that he remembers that we are but dust. That's our frame, okay? Next, we have to recognize righteousness by faith, okay? Uh, So if you want to turn with me then to the book of Hebrews, we are going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 and, and read verse 22. Again, New International Version here. And it reads, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that bring that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We have to know a righteousness by faith. What's that mean? We have to see ourselves as God sees us. Okay? And, and that's what this scripture uh, is really getting at. When we draw close to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, our hearts can be sprinkled to cleanse from a guilty conscience and our bodies can be washed in, in pure water. Okay? And, and I feel like I need to continue to explain this just a little bit. That's how God sees you. When God looks on you, after you're born again, um, and I had this discussion with a friend not long ago, you can be born again and fall in to the dirtiest of sin. And it doesn't mean that you're no longer born again. It means that you are a human and that you walked into a temptation and you accidentally indulged in it. And that does not... That does not cause God to revoke his love for you. That does not cause God to turn his back on you. Because remember that God sees you through the eyes that that see the blood of the lamb over you. So God already sees you as having been washed with pure water. Know your righteousness by faith. See yourself as God sees you. All right? And then the final scripture verse for this three-step process, uh, which I'll recap briefly, uh, you need to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, and verse 13. Okay? You can probably quote it with me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Know the power that is working within you. This is the three-step process to dealing with true guilt. Okay? When, When you come into a state of repentance, you will recognize that you are but dust. 
you will recognize that God sees you as a righteous being because of your faith, because you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you will recognize that the great power of the Holy Spirit is working within you. That's the three-step process to dealing with a true convicting guilt. Now, dealing with false guilt is a little bit shorter of a process, but it can actually be a little bit tougher because it's a shorter process. But here's what you have to do. You recognize that there's false guilt present in your life, and you have to take control, okay? Um, Any time that there is a power of darkness trying to take a stronghold in your life, you have to uh, gird up in your in your armor of God and take control. It's a battle. You have to take control. And so as you take control, you're just going to say this, Devil, get away from me. Get away from my family, get away from my household, and go back to hell, for I am a child of God. Alright? Replace that false guilt, replace that condemnation with a right confession. I am a child of God. You're no longer a slave to fear, no longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to doubt. None of that. You are a child of God. Okay? Uh, Now, there's one thing regarding false guilt that we need to be aware of. And it can be a little bit... uh, A little bit of a touchy subject. We have to be cautious as, as fellow believers and as human beings that we don't accidentally cause false guilt. And I know you might be saying... What do you mean we can't cause false guilt? Didn't you just say earlier that the false guilt comes from the accuser? Well, yes, I did say that the false guilt comes from the accuser. Let me clarify this. We are all broken vessels, okay? We are are leaky vessels. We are not perfect. And so if you have a glass that has a crack in it, it's not only going to leak what you put in it, but if you would submerge it in water, then some of the water might leak through the crack and get into the glass, right? And and so there's there's that imperfection that allows, and I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but this is the truth, it allows for us as human beings, if we let our guard down for the slightest moment, It allows for us to be used of the accuser. And if we are used by the accuser, we will inadvertently cause false guilt. Okay? Now, one of the biggest places that you're going to experience false guilt is in the church. And there's a reason for that. As believers we tend to want to, um, well, well, we want to always be active in the use of our gifts. But sometimes we get so gung-ho about our gifts that we want other people to partake in our gifts. But if they're not 
given a specific gifting, then you can't ask them to participate in that gifting. The biggest way that we as fellow believers cause false guilt is through something called gift projection. If we are are guilty of gift projecting, that means that, okay, uh, we'll say that if I'm operating in the gift of prophecy and I come up to you and you know that you are to be uh, operating in the gift of wisdom or counsel and I say, you know what would make that gift of wisdom or counsel even better is getting into the gift of prophecy. You really ought to do that because without that, your counsel's not doing any good. Your wisdom's probably a little bit off. And now I have been used of the accuser because I don't know what God is doing through you in your gift of wisdom and of counsel. Um, and And so now... I've potentially gift projected onto you and caused you to feel inadequate and I've given you a sense of false guilt because now you feel that you don't measure up because you don't operate in the gift of prophecy in in unison with the gift of counsel and the gift of wisdom. And so we have to be extremely cautious that, that when we are operating as the church, as the church global, that we receive one another and that we yield our giftings to one another. What do I mean by that? As we receive one another and we, and we yield our gifts to one another, sometimes as, as a pastor, you might have to say, you know what, um, I've got this person in the congregation that is extremely gifted in the area of prophecy and so I need I need to glean off of that person and let them have a part in this service because we're going to touch on prophecy but I think that this person could do a little better justice. I need um you know somebody who who is a great exhorter and I've got this person in the congregation that's a really great exhorter and sometimes I fall short in that area. And so I'm going to receive you as an exhorter and I'm going to bring you up and I'm going to say, listen, I need you to, to come alongside me at this time to, to, to make this ministry more effective. Yielding your gifts to one another so that you can work effectively for the kingdom. Okay? Um, not all pastors are gifted in teaching. And so sometimes if there comes a point where scripture needs to be thoroughly taught, sometimes the pastor has to say, listen, um, I'm not gifted in teaching, but I recognize that you are gifted in teaching. And I would, I would like it if you would yield your gifting unto the church and uh, come and share this teaching with us. Or, um, listen, I'm, I as the pastor, I'm not, I'm not really gifted in evangelism. And, and we're going to do this uh, outreach, this crusade. And, and so I need you to come with your gift of evangelism. And I need you to come and, and, and make this effective with me. 
not for me, not beside me, not not to make me look good, but with me, alongside me. I need you to I need you to come and when we lock arms because we yield our giftings to one another and we don't project gifts onto one another, we we create a mighty force. Okay? So I hope that I've done a little bit of justice in explaining that. If I, if I have left you completely confused, please contact me and I will do my best to make that clear. Um, but but I, think I've, I think I've done okay with explaining gift projection. But that's what we have to be cautious of is, is not, not pushing people to operate in something that they're not called to operate in. Uh, it can be really, really difficult. Uh, it, it sometimes, you know, um, people have a hard time receiving all of the gifts. Sometimes it's, you know, you've walked alongside someone, uh, for such a long time. And then when the time comes that you have to, uh, make the decision and say, you know what, God's calling me to operate in, in this area of ministry. And I've learned a lot from walking alongside you, but but I really feel God calling me this direction. Do not be guilty of gift projecting and saying, no, no, you're wrong. This is where God wants you. Uh, because truly, it's between that person and God. Um, you, you don't, you want to be careful not to push what God has called you to on to someone else. Okay. Uh, so that's, I think that's about it for replacing guilt with hope. Um, what we, what we need to do, of course, anytime that we feel even the slightest of guilt is, is to really seek God and run into his throne room to really, really find hope because we have, we have a blessed hope in Jesus. Okay, um, and, and uh, the two scripture verses that I want to leave you with this evening are again Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That scripture alone gives you a great deal of hope because you know that there is nothing, there is nothing that can that can be formed against you. Nothing formed against you will prosper. Why? Because you're a child of God. Nothing shall be impossible to you. Why? Because you're a child of God. You have the Holy Ghost reigning in you. Okay? You can do all things through Christ who is your strength. That is not limited to spiritual things. It's not limited to religious things. It's not limited to... um, to things of of Christian nature. You can do all things through Christ who is your strength when you recognize that God is at the helm of your life. I personally believe that God Almighty can give you physical strength to accomplish something that you need physical strength to accomplish. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then the second one is 1 John 3, 3. And it says this, All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. We have this great hope, 
if we place our hope in Christ, it's, it's as if we are purifying ourselves, just as Christ is pure. And so I want to leave you with those, and, and here's what I want you to journal this week. So if you've got your pen and your paper ready, I want you to write down uh, the journaling exercise, and it's this. Where do I have false guilt in my life? Because many people do. Many people are unaware that they are dealing with false guilt. But many people have false guilt in their life. So ask the Lord, dear Lord, where do I have false guilt in my life? And wait on him. Okay? Get a solid answer to to that question. And then journal this one. And be ready for the answer. Have I been a victim of gift projecting? Have I let someone else project their gifts onto me? Okay? Get a solid answer. And then, this one. Am I guilty of gift projecting? Okay? Because as many people as as are um, affected by guilt, uh, by gift projection. It's, it's almost an equal number of those who accidentally project their gifts, not knowing what they're doing. And so, so ask those three questions. Journal them one at a time and, and let God answer each one thoroughly, okay? Um, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Let's pray us out and um, we'll meet back here in a week. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. And I pray, Lord God, that you would come and meet with each one of these people who has set apart the time to hear this word and, and, and to take the time to study, Lord God, what you have. Father, I pray that you would begin even now to speak into their spirits what, what you need to say about false guilt, about true guilt, about gift projection, Lord God, that they would hear with clear, clear hearing. Father, that they would see vision, that they would sense in their spirit a move of your spirit. Father, I pray that you would uh, just bless and anoint each person. Father, that they would not only uh, be changed, Lord God, by this lesson, but Father, that they might actually share this lesson, that they might actually reach out and minister to someone with with this new knowledge of, of true guilt and false guilt and gift projection, Lord God, that they might make a difference in the life of another. Father, give them courage, give them strength, and remind them daily this week, Lord God, that they can do all things because you alone, Christ Most High, you are our strength. We give you praise, honor, and glory, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, and we all did pray. Amen and amen. Y'all have a blessed week, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.